Welcome to Making Art Work, produced by the Arts Administration Program at LeMoyne College in Syracuse, New York. I'm Travis Newton, your host and director of the program. Today's guest is David Grindle, Executive Director of the United States Institute for Theater Technology, or USITT. Since 1960, USITT has served design, production, and technology professionals in the performing arts and entertainment industry through conferences, workshops, and professional development opportunities for its more than 3,800 members. A truly global organization, USITT's members reside in the U.S., Canada, and 40 other countries. Under David's leadership, USITT has initiated many new programs, including the USITT Presents program, which provided training online and in person to more than 250 people in eight states during its first year alone. David came into his role at USITT with a solid background as a professional stage manager and educator. He combined his passion for opera and theater, serving as stage manager with Atlanta Opera in the historic Fox Theater for eight seasons, and also stage managed for Opera Grand Rapids. No stranger to academia, David also developed the national standards for undergraduate degrees in stage management and has developed learning experiences for such entertainment giants as Cirque du Soleil and Walt Disney Parks Entertainment. David, welcome to LeMoyne College and to Making Art Work. Thanks, Travis. Happy to be here. I want to kick off with maybe one of the most obvious questions for our listeners, which is how did such a globally connected organization as USITT wind up being headquartered here in Syracuse? USITT came to Syracuse because, uh, interestingly enough, theater technology in central New York is a big business. Um, Syracuse Scenery and Stage Lighting is headquartered here and owned by a, a lady who has been a member of our board, been a past president, and when we were looking for a new home, uh, Chris said, I think we can do it in Syracuse, and at that time, it made great sense for us to be here. We've got Syracuse scenery. We've got J.R. Clancy here. Just down in Victor, there's a company called Dactronics that produces rigging for theater as well as uh, all the big scoreboards you see in arenas. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just working here in central New York. You stretch out to uh, the Hudson Valley region. You've got... Uh, Roscoe, which is a major manufacturer of paints. You've got uh, BMI Supply, which uh, supplies most of the theaters up and down the East Coast and through the center of the country. So theater technology is, like you said, it's big business here in central New York. It really is. And uh, when did it reload? When did USITT move to Syracuse? USITT came to Syracuse 15 years ago. Okay. So we've um, we've had two offices. We were over on Ridings Road, and then about five years ago, we moved down uh, nearer to Syracuse Stage and the center of town to be part of that growing uh, revitalization. Okay. And, um, you know, we were talking offline earlier about all the traveling that you do. I'm curious, how much time do you spend here in Syracuse as executive director versus traveling around to your various members? I probably spend, on total, I'm in town about two-thirds of the time, um, about a third of, of every month. I'm traveling, working with our members, uh, doing the things executive directors do, fundraising, uh, creating new opportunities. Um, it means that uh, 
I spend quite a bit of time with uh, our staff at Delta Airlines mm. at the airport. <laughs> uh, but it, it's a great opportunity as we try to create training opportunities for people at all points of their career lifespan. Uh, the technology used in entertainment is constantly changing, as with all technology. And it matters not if you're entering the industry or you've been here for 30, 40 years. The amount of continuing education is exploding as to what you need to stay active. Even if you're not working a Broadway show with the latest equipment, that show's going on tour. And they're bringing a lot of their equipment with them. You need to be familiar with it if you're a professional on the backstage side of things. Right. Can you give us some examples of, of different uh, technologies that um, that have sort of impressed you lately that that are uh, sort of up-and-coming new things that people might have seen on stage? Maybe they didn't know they were watching you know, that technology at work, but uh, some things that are sort of uh, – you know, coming down the pipeline these days that people need to get trained on? Uh, some of the big things uh, certainly are, are automation. Uh, more and more, we bring automation into our theaters, and it does two things. It allows us to do some amazing uh, theatrical effects, going all the way back to uh, Phantom of the Opera when it first opened in the 1980s, mm-hmm. had some of the very basic automated technology the latest version of that that ran for several years in Las Vegas, instead of having a chandelier that collapsed like it did in New York, suddenly its chandelier came with 32 motors that had it fly around the theater, assemble itself, and zip away in three seconds after it collapsed straight down hmm. onto the audience. Hmm. Um that probably the the amount of automation that people see that they don't even realize they're seeing um it's some of it is radio controlled more and more and more it's all running on tracks and using the strength of metal and wire rope to move scenery in ways we've never been able to do it before um Everyone thinks about the great stuff we're doing out in Las Vegas, if you've seen one of those shows. Mm -hmm. Um, The other technology that is going at a rate that my mind can't even conceive is projection. More and more um, shows are projecting scenery uh, and not just just the AV club way we were used to doing it growing (laughs) up, but – uh, they actually manipulate the image uh, in a computer, run it through the server, so that the image can wrap itself around a 3D object. Right. Um, they are running servers that are pro- projecting image onto moving objects, but the object is moving, so the projector has to know the physics that what leaves the projector is just a few inches ahead of what's on stage at the same moment so that when the light hits there, you have projection where you want it. Mm -hmm. That's between those two things. Those are the two things I think have revolutionized uh, performance and that people don't even realize they're seeing right now. Yeah. And you mentioned projection. I just saw a documentary, um, Wagner's dream about the Metropolitan Opera's new 
ring cycle and the projections that they were using on that new set and how they were actually interacting with the singers yes. on stage and moving in response to what the singers were doing. Yes. Which I thought was interesting. It was it was more of a conversation with the projection versus a flat projection that is what it is kind of thing. Yes, that production. The thing I love about the Met production is they have uh they have this incredibly high end material. And then they also have guys in the back pulling on ropes to make right. things happen. <laughs> you know, so they're running the gamut of our technology. Interestingly, that production was done by a, a director designer, Robert Lepage. Mm-hmm. And much of that technology that was used at the Met was actually created for Cirque du Soleil. He did their show Ka right. at the MGM Grand. And that, when they introduced this technology where a an infrared camera is actually viewing the performers, translating that into a digital image, and there's an algorithm so that if they're in water or you want them to appear in water and they move their arms, mm-hmm. it will actually project a ripple and bubbles around that because right. the infrared is feeding in. Um, it's so incredible to watch and actually so complex that when they first tried it, uh, they weren't sure the math would even work. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is how far we're now going much more. You hear the term entertainment engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no more. Uh, we're going to paint a drop and please painting scenery is an art form that I can't even begin to attempt. Please don't take that as a, a, a disparaging remark, but it's not even that we're going to paint flat scenery. But we're going to paint scenery, and that scenery is going to open and turn and do all of these things. And there's a whole engineering factor behind it. Right. So it's really a combination of, of you know, the artistic side and a lot of technological expertise, information systems, information technology, engineering, a lot of science behind the art. It's unbelievable the volume of science that is used. The thing that, that I really appreciate about technical theater, for, for that kid that wants to be part of entertainment but would rather die than be on stage. <laughs> Was uh, that you? Uh, no. Okay. No, I started as a performer, Yeah, you actually. seem like it. <laughs> um, but, but for that person that, that loves science and math and w- loves being in the theater – there's a home for them in entertainment engineering now right. um, that is incredibly challenging because the minds of our designers and directors, every time we create something new that's possible, that's a new barrier for them to push up against and try to get us to create something even mm. newer. Right. So speaking of the Met and yes. their new ring cycle – um, they're doing all these live and HD broadcasts um, around the world in over 60 countries. You've got orchestras, um, you know, doing live streaming. You've got a, a whole new sort of global market that's opened up for the arts, uh, largely thanks to technological um, advances. And I wonder, what do you see in terms of, you know, is there an area of the world where, you know, where these things are happening more quickly? How do you see this sort of global... Um, arts world developing over the next, say, 10 years. And the amazing thing about about the uh, the technological advances of being able to, to put a show out there from anywhere in the world, it really allows people to experience the finest version 
you can. I mean, the Glyndebourne Festival in England mm. is an is an amazing opportunity to see, just as it is to see a live telecast from San Francisco Opera. Right. Um, so what I think this does is, in many ways, it makes the arts more accessible to people mm-hmm. um, who somehow feel that you have to have a certain income to enjoy an opera or a play, or you have to dress a certain way or have a certain background. I can assure you, growing up milking cows on a farm, <laughs> I never thought I would end up you know, in some of the great opera houses of the world backstage making the world happen. But for, for people to get the opportunity to see these things and then – Realize that maybe they do like it. So you see something, uh, a Met production in HD at Destiny. Mm-hmm. Maybe you really like that. Maybe you'll go see a Syracuse Opera production. Yeah, hopefully. Um, because that's uh, – as much as those HD moments are incredible, there's still a very fine difference of hearing the performer live, be it – in a, an actor in a play, a singer in a musical, an opera singer, a dancer, there's a connection there right. that you'll you hopefully will want to experience the next level of it. Right, it'll get you hooked. It will, and get you and hooked. and live performances are sort of a visceral experience that you that it's really it's you know they try with subwoofers and great sound technology to to imitate, but there's really no imitating a live singer standing on stage and just singing like crazy. Exactly. And and there's no imitating being in an audience. It's fascinating as we get into being a society that more and more gets into our little handheld devices and cocooning. And cocooning. Uh-huh. Being in a room with other people experiencing it, there is a there's an energy that flows through it that you can't get anywhere else. I mean, I, I'm really appreciative of NBC and the the uh, airing of Sound of Music they did mm-hmm. in December. Mm-hmm. But I have to be honest, that show was written to have an audience response. Right. And that's one of the things I think it was missing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a, a couple of nights later, I watched a, a Live from Lincoln Center performance, and there was an audience, and you could tell there were the appropriate pauses for sure. for laughter or or effect and these HD live performances do give you that because right. they truly are that there's an audience there and you're just the remote audience that's right and hopefully that audience that's live is it's a conversation between them and the performer versus a a one-sided interaction Everything has to be. Otherwise, and I can tell you from being a performer and being backstage, and and you know it well, if the audience is dead, the whole night is dead, if that connection isn't there. Right. Or even if there's a perception that the audience might be loving it, but if it doesn't feel like they're giving you that feedback that you need, it's difficult to be on stage and and still perform at 100% even though you really have to. Right. You will, and you have to. If they're not giving the feedback, you've got to perform at 120%. That's right. That's right. So um, bringing it from global back to local for a little bit in our remaining few minutes here, um, what do you think of the newly renovated uh, behind the proscenium backstage area of the Landmark Theater here in Syracuse? Yeah, that – the renovations that were done at the Landmark are are a great opportunity as shows have advanced. They – 
the standard equipment, the standard capabilities of touring theaters uh, have changed. The renovation at the Landmark allowed Syracuse to keep bringing in the quality of shows that we're seeing. The idea that that Wicked can come through town, and that's an amazing opportunity to see. Mm-hmm. Um, that show requires specific things from its theater. Right. Um, we got Warhorse. You know, you can't do Warhorse just anywhere because of the projection needs. We can do that at the Landmark now because of the investment people made in bringing it up to being a a class theater that can bring a great show in for our people to see. And it's a great uh, it's a great thing not only for the Landmark, obviously, but also just for Syracuse in general in terms of the economic impact of bringing those shows to town. Well, and that that's a really important thing as shows um, come in. People come to town to see that show, and whether that show is a, a great play like War Horse or a music act, a band that comes to town, or a uh, even a local organization performing, as people come in, they're bringing in business to restaurants, they're bringing in to the hotel, even down to the gas stations, and that's an important thing. You know, we we sometimes get caught up in the arts about what great opportunities the art itself is, but but art is also feeding people. Right. That's right. Well, and maybe, uh, you know, after people listen to this conversation, they'll hopefully it won't take all the magic out of their <laughs> theatrical experience, but, you know, maybe they'll they'll look at some of those automations and projections a little bit differently and have a little taste of what happens behind the scenes. I hope they do. So thanks, David, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Maybe you'll come back again sometime. Thanks, Travis. I'd love to. Making Artwork is produced by the Arts Administration Program at LeMoyne College in Syracuse, New York, with support provided by the Department of Communication and Film Studies and WLMU Radio. Our theme song was written by LeMoyne College music faculty member Edward Rahalski and performed by the Bang on a Can All-Stars. For more information about Arts Administration at LeMoyne, visit lemoyne.edu slash artsadmin or follow us on Twitter at LMCArtsADMN. I'm your host, Travis Newton, hoping you'll join us again next time on Making Art Work.